Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about it. Swan Bitcoin launched Swan Private because we talked to so many people that had issues with the major exchanges. Some had their accounts locked and customer service wouldn't be able to help them. And many simply wanted to talk to an actual human being who could answer their Bitcoin questions. Swan Private is a one-on-one Bitcoin advisory service for high net worth investors. The team is here to actually support you in your Bitcoin journey. And on top of this, you also get access to Swan Private insight which is a monthly research report that i contribute articles for here and there now with swan private you will also get guidance on choosing the right custody option for your bitcoin so this could be a really interesting one for yourself or potentially for your friends and family go and check it out it's swanprivate.com do you need bitcoin or lightning node infrastructure voltage can help out here voltage has constructed the leading enterprise grade lightning solution for bitcoin builders who are creating the future of financial technology and layer 2 applications the decision to integrate lightning no longer has to be an afterthought voltage makes it really easy for any organization to integrate or build on lightning you can scale nodes instantly by the thousands you can get quality liquidity easily and much more what was once a headache is now simplified. Get a node up and running in two minutes by visiting voltage.cloud. Lend at HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can anonymously borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin. So with Lend at HODL HODL, it's all done peer-to-peer, and so you can put up an offer or you can accept an offer from somebody else with the terms such as how long you want to borrow and the interest rate you're looking to pay. So that website is lend.hodlhodl.com. And don't forget, Hoddle Hoddle are also the organizers of Baltic Honey Badger, which is a great Bitcoin conference that I'm sure you'll enjoy. I'll be there. It's on in Latvia in the first week of September, and there'll also be Riga Bitcoin Week. So if you're interested in that, go to BalticHoneyBadger.com. So for the show today, episode 385, my guest is Nicholas Bertie from Galloy Money, and he rejoins me on the show to talk about his recent trip to Central African Republic. So as you might have seen, there was some news about this country adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. Now, some of the news articles maybe weren't giving a lot of clarity. Nicholas has actually been there on the ground and we chat about his experience there as well as what's really going on. Nicholas, welcome back to the show. Hey, Stefan. Thanks for having me back. So, Nicholas, uh, I'm excited to chat with you and hear more about uh, some of your latest adventures in uh, Central African Republic as well as you know, the latest with Geloy and, uh, you know, what's going on with that. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about this recent trip you did and what spurred it? Yeah, so a friend of mine, Sebastian Guspio, reached out to me maybe a month ago and said, hey, I'm... So Sebastian Guspio is a miner, he's based in France, but he's doing some mining in uh, countries that are uh, adjacent to Central African Republic. And so when the law was passed, it was very intrigued by it and he said we have to go there and we have to you know see first like is this law real like is this a real thing and then we said okay we have to to check this out right like we are being supporting of El Salvador law and so this is a second country so as a Bitcoin community we should see okay like what, what can we do about it and so this is how the trip gets started. Yeah. And uh, so let's contextualize Central African Republic a little bit in terms of population, GDP, uh, what kind of situation are they in as a country? Yeah. So it's, uh, as the name imply, I guess it's a country in uh, the middle of Africa. 
it's a landlocked country, so no access to sea. Uh, the country is about 5 million people. Uh, and something that strike me is the GDP per capita is quite low. It's about $500 per person uh, per year. So I, I didn't, I mean, I, I knew El Salvador before the El Salvador law because I spent quite some time there before the law became uh, effective. But for Central African Republic, I did not know how to, you know, to, to put this on a map if you were asking me. So I did not know much before I traveled there about the country. Yeah, for sure. And so we're dealing with a country that is one of the poorer countries on earth and even poorer than El Salvador then. And so that obviously has various challenges and also opportunities too. Um, and so maybe if you could tell us a little bit about what their economy is like, is it mostly, you know, from my reading, it seems to be mostly agrarian and agriculture. What was the sense of it that you got from when you were there and when you were talking to people and just understanding how the country works and makes its money? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the challenges that they have is they don't make much money, right? Uh, so some of the context to know about the country, first, they use a currency called the CFA, and they are, they are part of a group of 16 countries in Africa, French Africa, that use this currency. It's uh, There's a lot of challenge around CFA, so there is a central bank that is managing this currency, uh, and this central bank is uh, is really managing France, basically, and so there's a lot of fee attached to also using this currency. Uh, so it's one thing that, I guess, prevents the country to use a lot of its natural resources, effectively. So the country have access to gold and diamond and oil and gas and, and also uranium, I think. But so far, it's very hard, for instance, for them to export it and to, to really use their natural resources. When I so Something that uh, was, I guess, not, not shocking, but uh, interesting to me when I, I land there, um, the first thing is that, so there is a, a word for the airport, uh, you know, when the plane lands, but like you just go outside the airport, you know, it's, it's already dirt, uh, word. like there is no, no, no word in the country, right? Like with, a with a concrete, um, and this is, you know, it was the first time I, I went to a country where like you just go outside the airport and it's, there is no longer a word, right? Um, so it's something that I, I, I see the, Electricity usage is fairly low. So I think if we compare to America, uh, the average consumption in uh, Central African Republic is about 0.5% of the average consumption in, in the US. What this means is effectively only a few percentage of the population have access to electricity. I think it's, yeah, I, I don't remember, I think to, uh, 30% or something along this line. And also, something that uh, struck me quickly is like internet. Um, so the country have 3G internet. Uh, so there's no 4G, no 5G. But also the 3G, when you get a subscription and you pay for 5 gig or, or 10 gig, like you, you cannot really use it efficiently just because the overall, overall bandwidth in the country is very low. I think it's along the line of three or four gigab uh, gigabit per second for the country, which is like super, super, super low. Um, and, and basically the, the striking element when you go there is like there is no infrastructure, right? When you're talking about either it's electricity or internet or word or 
uh, like this really is yeah uh, that doesn't really exist um, I, I think we can uh, ask about why that is you know uh, uh, one of the reasons is there has been a lot of civil war uh, over the last uh, decades and so it, it has been very hard for the country to you know, build up uh, the infrastructure like uh, because when you have civil wars it's not what you, you typically do so yeah, that's certainly sad and presents a lot of challenges there. So I'm curious then if you have any insight into how this Bitcoin legal tender law came up in this country, because it just, I think for most most of us, it just sort of seemed out of the blue, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really, when, when the law came, uh, I was like thinking, okay, this is what will be announced during Bitcoin 2022. We're all expecting this type of announcement. And it came actually like a couple of weeks uh, after that, you know, like very, uh, yeah, on, on a random day, suddenly, oh, there is a second country on it. Uh, so, yes, I, I had a chance to, to learn about how the law came. So, it's basically the president of Central African Republic, uh, Mr. Tuadera. He has a background in mathematics. He has two PhD in mathematics. And I think he also wants to change the situation in his country. And he sees uh, uh, the potential of Bitcoin to, you know, maybe similarly to El Salvador, you know, try to change the situation and, and make the country better, right? So the decision really came from the president and the president himself. Uh, now we are in the stage in this country where like there are the minister and there are like you know, people under him that try to think about, okay, how, how do we go from this law to, you know, the, the fact that it become first effective uh, because something that, I guess might not be clear for most people is that right now the law has been passed, but it's not effective yet. There is multiple steps that need to happen before the law became, become effective. And, and there are, uh, special, especially the central bank, uh, is actively trying to make sure the law doesn't become effective. So, uh, so it's, it's, right. it's one, one thing to remind. So there's some resistance in the country even. There is significant resistance, not necessarily from the country, but from, the central bank, right? That is not part of the yeah. country, but is part of this group of countries. Oh, I see. So from the, as in from yeah. the CFA uh, yeah, central yeah. bank, right? And, and you can and also so imagine kind of, that France, yeah. you know, like is not necessarily uh, helping. Excited right? about they, this. They, they, <laughs> they also, if they, there is things they can do to make the law being delayed or, or ineffective or, you know, they will probably try to do it. So try, try yeah, to that's a good the, point. So it, it almost reminds me of how El Salvador did the Bitcoin law and then the IMF came out sort of anti and saying oh no it's high risk don't do this and it's a similar kind of story then in a way it's it's similar but i think the situation is a bit different because uh, el salvador was using the us dollar and they they have el salvador have a central bank and the central bank was for minus sounding you know on board with the law like they were not actively pushing against it yeah like here you have some actor whether it's in the country or in the region, that try to do everything they can to make sure the, there is no Bitcoin adoption in South Africa Republic. Uh, because I, I think the central bank of uh, uh, managing the CFA, obviously they see the, the domino falling and they, they understand that if the CFA, they get a Bitcoin adoption, you know, all the other countries in the region will also might want to do the same thing. And then the money might uh, you know, disappear and, and this is not something they want. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess the other big question, because obviously this was a factor with El Salvador, was the high percentage of remittance. And I know there are other countries in the world that have a similar thing. So Philippines and others. 
What's the situation with remittance in Central African Republic? So there is some remittance, but it's along the line of three to five percent. So compared to El Salvador, I think twenty five percent. It's tiny then. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's small. I mean, it's not insignificant, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, smaller for sure. Yeah, sure. And so then we we have this interesting dynamic where it looks like inside the country. As you said, the president is pro Bitcoin, uh, but the CFA and the you know the central bank there is sort of trying to stop it. Do you know where it's going to shake out, or is it still unclear at this point? It's still unclear. I I just know that the law is not effective as of now. Uh, it has been and like they need to be in in French we call it a decree. I'm not sure the the English word, but like there, there need to be steps basically that need to go through before the law become effective. And I don't know how long it will take or you know if it will become effective. I, I believe it will, but uh, it's still in in the process. I see. So it might be like they can get it through, but it might get delayed because there'll be a certain process that has to be followed to make it active. Yes. Yeah. So if you could tell us a little bit about what it was like for you visiting. So it was it was a, a very interesting experience. Uh, it's the first time for me to go in Central Africa, so this particular region. So we were invited by the minister of uh, economy there, and he basically the idea that you know we were going to meet the uh, the different minister and the presidency really to talk about the, the law and talk about there, there was part was about the education piece. Uh, so try to understand how much do they know about Bitcoin and do they, you know, how much need do they help? How much uh, help do they need on, on one hand? And, and also, yeah, try to see the Bitcoin adoption in the ground, like how many people were using Bitcoin? Is it fairly active or is it not active? Something we wanted to, to know because there is not a lot of information, you know, online uh, today. So, you know, going there on the ground is the best way to, to figure it out. Uh, maybe I can start with like uh, about the adoption of Bitcoin in the country actually uh, today. And there is currently pretty much no one using Bitcoin in the country. So it's, uh, it's you know, despite the law being passed. And, and when I say it really comes from the president, it really you know, comes from him because there was no, you know, economy in the ground or maybe some, uh, some uh, you know, like a Bitcoin beach-like project, you know, that, that bootstrap something like there was, there was no, no such thing there. And even the hotel where we stayed, which is one of the hotels where most uh, tourists go in, in the country uh, when they are in Central Africa Republic, they didn't accept Bitcoin, you know, despite the law being being effective, uh, being passed, uh, not effective, um, for a couple of weeks. So we, we actually helped them to get a Bitcoin wallet and you know, we, we helped also the... Uh, yeah, the, the different, uh, whether it's a, it's a minister or whether it's a different company we met, you know, to download some wallet and try to get an understanding about, uh, yeah, about Bitcoin. Uh, on the education side, so the first thing is when the law passed, we saw two versions. We saw a version that was a crypto law. And we saw <laughs> a version that was a Bitcoin law. And, and so this was very confusing. Um, and the, the Bitcoin law is the one that effectively passed. Uh, so there has been some, you know, like uh, version, and they understand that you know, okay, if we adopt a, a currency, it should really be Bitcoin. But something interesting that we understood when we were there is that the, the president, you know, he have a background in mathematics, so he understands at least the technical side of, of Bitcoin. Right about the economy side, I, I don't know. But all the ministers that are charged to work on this law. 
they don't necessarily have much background about, uh, you know, Bitcoin or blockchain or crypto. Like you have to imagine like maybe three months ago, they, maybe they heard about Bitcoin, but like they never make a transaction, like they, they never really use it. And now they're in charge of like implementing this. And it's, it's, it's a hard job, right? Because like if you just go on, I don't know, on Google and you look for, you know, Bitcoin or like you know that you are, you will be receiving a lot of information that are, like about crypto that maybe you know, are not, not very aligned with Bitcoin. Um, and so part of the, I, I guess, so, uh, our travel there was to spend some time with the company and the minister to explain to them that we, uh, to, like that, that Bitcoin is very unique and, you know, it, it have all these uh, properties that make it the best money, but, uh, all the other currency like are not good at money and they should not really focus on that. And, and I think the trip there was helpful in the sense that they really understand that you know, there is a difference. A few days before we went there, there was a white paper called Sango that they published. And this to us, like when we read the white paper, they talk about NFT, they talk about like a lot of different things. Uh, <laughs> and so... Okay, okay, the law is a bit kind of, but you know, why, why do they make a white paper where they talk about like uh, this? And it, it was not clear. And and I think getting there, you know, we get a better understanding is like, okay, they're very new to, to this. And therefore, like, there are other delegations that probably reach out to them, you know, that are not a Bitcoin delegation, but more like a crypto delegation. And, and now they are in the process of, of uh, trying to, to make sense of it, right? Yeah, I can imagine a lot of uh, altcoiners are trying to, get their claws in and try to say, oh, look, we're doing a partnership or whatever. Uh, that's uh, something we've seen, I'm sure, uh, in years gone by. So in terms of language, is the country French-speaking? I, I also see online there's, there's a language called Sango. As you said, there's a Sango white paper, but also the language Sango as well. So did you have any language difficulties there? Uh, no, uh, French. Uh, everybody speaks French. Um French is my native language, so no, no issue on my side. No issues uh, there. I, yeah. I, I think very few people speak English, uh, so like speaking French is probably a necessity to like to travel there. Um, Sango is uh, yeah, their local languages, but uh, everybody speaks French, so at least I didn't add any uh, you know, problem uh, talking with with a. Uh, with people, but at the same time, I, I also stay in the capital city, which is called Bangui. I, I didn't go to the, you know, the, the rural area. Maybe there people may not be speaking French. Uh, I, I'm not too sure about it. Yeah. yeah, sure. And how receptive were they to obviously the Bitcoin message as opposed to the altcoin message or that sort of coaching away from, oh, hey, you don't necessarily need a white paper. You need to look, think more about, you know, these other aspects of Bitcoin. Uh, very receptive, I think. I think for them it was a, a great learning experience. Like it was new information from them that you know they had to process. So you could see that. Uh, so we stay there for three days, and you know there was like between day three and day one. Like I think day three we really the orange peeling uh, was you know really <laughs> processing, and and you, you can see yeah the the, the shift over time. Uh, there is also like we met you know many people. Different people have different understanding. So, you know, f from the president to the minister to the head of uh, different companies. So, yeah, so some people might be a lot more into crypto than others. Uh, some people have, 
I believe part of them, you know, we, we could say they're crypto and part of them, they are no coiner. And I think with no coiner, like the message maybe was resonating a bit more, you know, the people that were more looking at uh, the general crypto space, like um, I, I think the message resonated also, but um, maybe less, yeah. Yeah. I think the other point that people will be interested to discuss and get your view as well is it seems like with El Salvador and our friend Matt O'Dell spoke about this as well is this idea that it came from a bottom-up approach because Bitcoin Beach was this successful project and then it was seen like, hey, let's try to replicate that approach elsewhere in the country. Whereas obviously this seems a little more like a top-down approach and I'm curious your thoughts on whether that will be successful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I think it's early to say. You know, one of the first uh, questions I have at this stage is whether they will go for a Bitcoin only adoption you know, from the government perspective or whether it will be, okay, you know, Bitcoin may be the currency, but, you know, we also invite every crypto project to the country that want to do you know, something. I think that will be a, a key element because, for instance, El Salvador has been really focused on Bitcoin and, and I think it has become a Bitcoin only places. And, and I think interestingly enough, like, I'm not sure it was the case a year ago. I think it, you know, they go into like making sure it's Bitcoin only because they get an understanding that if this is a crypto space, there will be a lot of scam happening and people will have some distrust, you know, if they get scammed about, about everything, whether it's it's a Bitcoin or crypto. And, and yeah, I, I'm not sure for Central African public yet, you know, how they will think about it. Uh, you know, the, the Sango white paper give you some ideas that they, they are thinking about Bitcoin, but also crypto. I hope that they understand that, you know, they should really focus on Bitcoin and Bitcoin only because otherwise the education in Central African Republic is, is very low about, uh, about Bitcoin and, and, and crypto. And so if you start saying, Hey, you know, you have all this option and, and like people will get lost, you know, like the paradox of choice also with trigger and people will not know, you know, <laughs> where to focus on versus if you say, okay, it's, it's really Bitcoin. We focus education on this. Like we don't talk about the rest. We don't necessarily invite, you know, the, the crypto industry to, to come here. I think will be a, could be a key element to make this uh, a success. I, I mean, I, I think the country, Maybe an interesting thing is to make parallel with El Salvador. Um, yeah. um, El Salvador is a, sm a much smaller country in terms of uh, land. Um, Central African Republic have a lot of natural resources. And today they, they have a hard time to sell it and extract it. And it's part because of the CFA, right? The CFA, uh, when they want to export uh, goods and uh, goods, not so much services, but goods outside, like the money is being the barrier, right? So, so, so the, the idea of like having uh, Bitcoin as a censorship resistant money for them is, I think, very uh, important. A lot more than, than um, I think, for El Salvador. And if they can start selling their gold, if they can start selling their um, diamond or oil for Bitcoin, like, Suddenly, their GDP per capita could increase 10x, like uh, almost overnight. But today, the, the banking system and, and the, the CFS system, you know, make it very hard for them to do anything. One of the person I met explained um, the story that I think he, he tried to buy some uh, tractor for like uh, agricultural purpose, and like, basically the 
thing that make it almost impossible to, to do it was making international payments. And, and this is really causing a lot of issue for everybody that want to create a, a company in the country and, and buy things on site because there is not any manufacturing in the country, I believe, uh, or not much manufacturing. So you need to buy outside. But because there is this really barrier with um, the currency, like it's, uh, this is why really limiting the expansion of the country. And adopting Bitcoin and making it possible to buy things, you know, without this, I guess, limitation on the currency could be a way for the country suddenly to, to really change uh, quickly. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so maybe we could kind of, I'm, I'm being a bit loose and generalizing a bit, but I guess with El Salvador, part of the whole thing with Bitcoin is the tourism. And so that's been one of the angles. It's driven a lot more tourism. But with Central African Republic, it's a different case. It's not necessarily going to drive all the tourism. But as you're saying, it maybe it could drive business into natural resources and using Bitcoin in a, in that way could help. So perhaps just to expand on that, just for listeners, could you just expand on what exactly are the difficulties for the Central African Republicans in terms of the CFA currency and where does Bitcoin fix that? The, the first thing is CFA is pegged to the euro uh, before it was pegged to the franc. Uh, we said the franc CFA. And the first thing is that the currency has been debased massively over the last uh, 50, 50 years. So it's, it's losing value a lot more than, you know, the, the euro uh, currently. Uh, so the inflation for the currency is high. It's not necessarily hyperinflation, but, um, it's, it's, uh, still there is a big debasement, uh, ongoing. So it's one element, right? Like, it's, it's the only currency that you have. And over time, you know, this currency loses value. Like, how do you, you know, make saving and how do you plan for the future when you are in this? And, and, and I think this is a, a, a key, uh, key argument. And another point is that there is some, uh, for instance, arm embargo in, arms embargo, uh, in the country. And so because of all the civil war happening. And so it's, uh, it's very hard to make like international transfer. And this is more like the, you know, like if, if you want to start a company and like you cannot buy things outside the country, basically you, you can't do much. And I've, I have been talking with some people, there was uh, entrepreneurs that say like, we wanted to start a company. They're living in France. You know, they wanted to start a company in Central African Republic because this is where they were born. And they say like, we give up because we could not make a, a wire transfer to start the, the company, uh, wow. to, to move money around. And so it's really this, uh, this barrier to move money outside the CFA uh, zone that is why Bitcoin is can be so helpful because it really you know Bitcoin if you have your own key and you can send money to whoever you want right you you, you don't have to ask permission from banks and the central banks and, and I think this is one of the key reasons why the, the country could benefit from Bitcoin is like you know freedom of you know buying what they want to buy with with the money they have and especially Selling natural resources, I think, is a, one of the key ways they could, um, yeah, they, they, they could go as a country. Back to the show in a moment. With various crypto service providers blocking withdrawals, it's never been more important to take control of our Bitcoin keys. And Unchained Capital can help you with this. Unchained offers concierge onboarding. This is a personalized service to help guide you from a Bitcoin security beginner to a pro. Over a video call, a member of Unchained's team will help you set up multi-signature cold storage 
even if you have never held your own keys before. They will ship the devices to you, walk you through the setup at your own pace, and help with withdrawals from exchanges and cover your questions. Then after you've completed onboarding, Unchained will provide you with guidance and ongoing support to help you get comfortable with that setup. And if you're aware you need to improve your Bitcoin security but you've been putting it off, concierge onboarding is a simple way to get started. So go and book yours. It's unchained.com slash concierge. Get $50 off with the code Levera. And for Bitcoin hardware security, you can't go past CoinKite.com. They are the creators of my favorite, the cold card. The cold card is a really versatile device and you can use it in all kinds of configurations. Now, if you are a beginner and you're not sure of the best way to do this, well, you can just order a cold card and you can just directly plug it into the computer. So it's micro USB on the Mark III and it's USB-C cable for the Mark IV. So you can just directly plug it into the computer and use it easily with wallets like Sparrow, Spectre Desktop, Electrum, or others. Now, if you're more intermediate or advanced, this is where you can take the time to learn how to do an air-gapped setup or potentially even a multi-signature setup. And ColdCard is a really great tool for this because it has all kinds of features that help make this easy, such as PSBT and other ways of sharing that information back and forth. So you can get yours over at CoinKite.com. And finally, for Bitcoin miners, check out Brains.com. That's Brains with two eyes. Brains are a Bitcoin mining software and service provider in the space. They are the operators of Slushpool, which is the first Bitcoin mining pool from back in the day. Now, with Brains, they've got Brains OS Plus. This is firmware that you can install on your Bitcoin ASIC, and it will improve your efficiency so long as you've got a supported model. And it can improve your efficiency by as much as 25%. You can point your hash rate to any pool, or if you use Brains OS Plus, and you point your hash rate towards slush pool, you'll also get 0% pool fees on slush pool. So the Brains OS Plus firmware is well worth a look. You've got to check it out. And don't forget, Brains also have a lot of educational content on their blog and also their analytics dashboard, which you can use with things like profitability calculators. That website is brains.com, brains with two eyes. And now back to the show. Right. And as we think economically, if this country wants to be able to rise up and become more prosperous, part of that is is being able to do importing, right? Because you need to be able to import, let's say, some capital infrastructure or some equipment, uh, other things for the businesses to operate so that then they can start actually generating products and services and in probably in this case, more products. But nevertheless, you need to be able to get that economic engine started and without being able to transact easily i think that is an important point and i'm sure obviously as a you're a deeply technical bitcoin and lightning guy you were able to demonstrate for people in the central african republic so what was their reaction when you showed them lightning transactions i mean it's eye-opening right you say hey you know i can show you one wallet to another wallet it doesn't even have to be the same wallet and it just works it's instant it's of course like um, like a, an experience that you, you you don't forget right especially when you're in a country where you, you don't necessarily have a freedom of money like uh, where you can send money wherever you want um so yes it was a, a very good uh, experience for them you know they obviously have the question about volatility, um, one of the main questions they have is like, okay, that's great, but what if the price, uh, you know, drop? And, and you, you try to say to them, yes, sure, the price can drop. Um, but if you look on the long, long time frame, you know, like the, the price will work over. But a, a lot of the um, people we met uh, were thinking also about, okay, how can I buy Bitcoin? 
because now I, I want to buy it, right? And, and this is one of the challenges today is that they have no really way to buy it uh, because there is like when you cannot send money, <laughs> you know, abroad. I don't, to my knowledge, there is no CFA, um, you know, to Bitcoin exchanges. Um, and, and, and by the way, the central bank uh, managing the CFA say it's uh, illegal to do or forbidden to do uh, CFA to Bitcoin. And so no, one of the, I guess, challenge of the country is how, to, how do you bootstrap this Bitcoin economy? Because the country have no Bitcoin. And, and so you need to inject uh, Bitcoin to the country, right, before you, you can have people using it. And this is one of the main questions is like, how do you inject Bitcoin to the economy? And I think the answer to this question is there is two options. Um, the first is you sell natural resources, you know, you sell gold, you sell a diamond in Bitcoin, and, and, and then you, you have some Bitcoin you can inject in the local economy. A second option that is relevant is developing electricity infrastructure with miner. Uh, initially, you uh, with a, like they have a lot of hydro potential, hydro power potential. You I guess bootstrap the grid by having miner as your first customer for your electricity infrastructure, and then o- over time, you know, you both connect the citizen to this new electricity grid, but you can also try to uh, use a miner, the, the Bitcoin you mine, you know, to to inject Bitcoin into the local economy. Yeah, it's it sounds like those are probably the viable options. It also sounds to me like, at least in the Bitcoin Beach case, there was a let's say a wealthy donor who wanted to let's say seed the project with some Bitcoin, and that might have also helped get the wheel started, get that flywheel started at least. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, if if that happens, and I think. Part of that is if before people can make an entrepreneurial investment into a country, they also want to understand what's the regime certainty like in this country, right? As an example, if I, if if you were to go and put in all this money to set up a mining venture, will the government later rug pull you? And that uncertainty can be difficult for an entrepreneur to work with. And I mean, of course, entrepreneurs deal with uncertainty, but that's part of the challenge that, you know, uh, but potentially with this law, if, if it's accepted as bitcoin is a normal thing and bitcoin mining is a normal thing then maybe the bitcoin miner has more certainty or assurance that he's not just going to get rug pulled on things or he's going to have his license to operate taken from him or have his machine bitcoin mining machines confiscated as has happened in other countries it's it's why probably there is not too much uh, investment you know infrastructure uh, just generally in the countries like if you have a, a pass with civil war uh, then you know, obviously, you don't want to invest in this country because you don't know what will happen to you know, the infrastructure you're building. But what, what we what we saw with El Salvador is like, um, no, there is a lot of uh, positive. There is a positive loop following the adoption of Bitcoin. Right? We don't talk about El Salvador about the violence anymore, the gangs. Like we talk about El Salvador about financial innovation and a, a place where like yeah. they use the best money and uh, and it's completely changed narrative. It it makes tourism, you know, grow and investment uh, grow significantly. I, I, I think uh, Central African Republic have some of the similar images where there has been a lot of violence. If they can also change the narrative and make it like so that it's a place, you know, where uh, it's going uh, in the right direction because now like with Bitcoin, they can maybe uh, sell a lot more natural resources and, you know, the, the country is going in the right direction, then it could change the narrative. And this is how, you know, the country could go to right now in a negative feedback loop to a positive feedback loop, right? And, and really start to, to go west in the country. 
Right. And uh, I'm also curious as well. So as you mentioned earlier, some of the difficulties around internet, uh, electricity, will that cause a, a barrier to Bitcoin adoption? Or do you see this like maybe the way it would start is, let's say, the wealthier businessmen who are coming in and doing business in the country using Bitcoin and maybe they can afford to pay and afford to get things started and eventually then maybe the infrastructure improves? Yeah, so some interesting facts. Uh, so about half of the population use mobile money there. Um, mobile money is the idea that you can send money to another phone number uh, using like orange money, for instance. It's something that is very developed in Africa, but I think Africa is really leading the way from mobile money. And so they have some, I guess, already usage of like, I, I use my phone to send some unit of money to another party. In a way, for instance, that El Salvador doesn't necessarily have, right? El Salvador was cash-based a lot more, uh, I think, than uh, Central Africa Republic. Central Africa Republic, they use both cash, but also uh, mobile money. And so they have this uh, notion of like, you know, I, I, can, I can pay, I can, I can, it's not just, it's not I scan a QR code, but it's like, I, I type a few commands and, and then I can send money like this. You know, that said, so there is a habit about how you pay, but that said, I think the adoption will certainly come more in the capital, which is Bangui, which is where most people have internet. And also, you know, electricity there is, is, is working, uh, much better than, than in the rural area. So I would expect, yes, you know, maybe, maybe a top down approach where it will start by the company and the government that, Maybe for export and import, you know, they will start using Bitcoin this way, and then maybe if it will flow down you know, to, to the to, to the more local people over time. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting you said you were making the point there about the different ways people pay in different countries, right? So if you go to China, they've got these super apps like the WeChat, and they've got all the money included inside of that. But in other countries around the world, maybe they're more cash based, right? El Salvador, uh, Japan, as an example. Whereas, as you were saying, in a lot of African countries, they use these mobile money style of things. And some of them use kind of a system where you have like phone credit and you're sending credit to each other as the money. So in this case, you're using this mobile money, but it's more, it's not like a smartphone feature. It's more like a texting or feature phone feature uh, that they use to send money back and forth. So yeah, but I, I suppose then, yeah, because obviously when we're thinking of Bitcoin and day-to-day stuff, you sort of you basically need a smartphone if you're really going to be doing a lot of day-to-day stuff. So that is a barrier or that's kind of a, a hurdle. But as you said, if it's going to start mainly in the main city where, let's say, most of the people there have, then it can sort of at least start and be an opportunity there. So, yeah, I guess kind of comparing back to El Salvador and El, El Salvador Bitcoin adoption what are the kind of high-level ways of thinking about it then? So as, as a guess, as, as, as I understand, I mean, you, you spent more time in El Salvador than I have, but as I understand in El Salvador, you know, there's more of a tourism and there's maybe more of a sense that there will be investment into the country because people might be, you know, wanting to get investment by residents or even potentially uh, residence by investment rather or potentially in the future, citizenship by residents. Uh, and, you know, whereas in Central African Republic, it seems like it's going to be more of a story about natural resources and maybe Bitcoin mining that's, you know, coming to the country. Yeah, thinking about the difference from with Salvador and Central African Republic, for me, is very interesting because I, I mean, I, I spend quite a bit of time in El Salvador, you know, only three days in Central African Republic. So like, I, I only have a very shallow overview of what Central African Republic is, but... Um, 
the, the difference to me, or, or first, the, the same aspect is in both cases, there was a head of state that really decided to do it. Uh, and it's really derived by, it's not a consortium of people. It's really like someone that says, you know, I see Bitcoin as something valuable. You know, I think it can help my, my country. It can help my people. And, and so I will adopt it. And in, in both cases, it's a, it's a bold decision. You know, maybe country number 20 that will adopt Bitcoin as legal currency will be more like the norm at some point. But, um, uh, whether it's for, uh, for Bukele or for two other, like it's, 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 it's a very bold decision to say, I will adopt Bitcoin as, as legal tender. Both countries didn't have their own currency, which kind of makes sense, right? Like you, when you don't have your own currency, like you're, you're using someone else's currency already. And so the shift to Bitcoin is, is much smaller. Um, I think some of the difference is that, uh, El Salvador is a bit more stable than Central African Republic. Um, and, and also Bukele, the president is, is very strong. Like he's, um, um, when you look at the polls, you know, like he has very high number. Um, right now the country is, is, is very stable. In, in Central African Republic, um, currently there is still some uh, conflict. Uh, there is some, um, uh, my understanding is there is two parties, like, uh, and the other party, you know, is actively trying to see how to maybe uh, get back the presidency. And so it's, yeah, it is a difference. Um, we already touched about it, but the difference between natural resources. So El Salvador, I think, want to become the next Singapore, right? Like in, in uh, Central America. The idea is to say that, hey, we are a small country, we don't have a lot of natural resources, but if you can do financial innovation in the country, then it's great because like, uh, you know, I mean, Singapore is a, <laughs> obviously a, a great example. Many countries want to follow. And I think this is uh, the idea of, uh, uh, of El Salvador. If I think about uh, Central African Republic here, it's more, I think, a much larger country, which much larger... Uh, natural resources available so you know the approach is uh, a, a bit different also yeah uh talking about maybe the internet usage uh el salvador like internet is is uh, very prevalent like most people have a cell phone if not two uh well, i think the average uh, subscription in el salvador is 150 percent meaning you know on average Someone have one subscription plus <laughs> uh, 50% more, right? Um, in, uh, in Central Africa Republic, the internet penetration is more along the line of 10%. Um, so many people have feature phone and they can typically use mobile money, but people with a smartphone and uh, like uh, active subscription is, is much lower. So it's a, it's a very stark difference. Yeah. Turning to... Galloway then, are there any opportunities then for Galloway to work with the country or is it more like Galloway's efforts will be more around doing financial infrastructure in other countries? Yeah, so the reason I've been there and I was with Noor on my team also is uh, to first by, I guess, curiosity to try to see, okay, like there is a country, a French-speaking country uh, that adopt uh, Bitcoin. We have to go there, right? We have to see uh, how it is on the ground. And, and also to educate, you know, the, the government about Bitcoin. And if there is any question that they have, we are happy to answer. And, and still today, right? Like we, we are doing a lot of education, which I think is, is necessary for gallery. There is a question that we have currently at gallery, which is if we think about government, for instance, like 
El Salvador have took a bold step to say Bitcoin is key infrastructure. And so you have like wood and water and electricity and, and Bitcoin. And this is why the um, government decided to make the Chivo wallet because they really decide, they really think that, okay, you know, if Bitcoin is legal tender, we have to provide the services as a government, you know, so that anyone can use Bitcoin. There is a question whether this will be as new country adopt Bitcoin, whether this will become the norm, like is Bitcoin core infrastructure or will it be you know, government will not drive it and they will let, you know, the private sector basically, uh, um, uh, you know, create their own wallet. And, and so it's, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know, right? But it's, but it's a question we, we're thinking about. Assuming the Central African Republic, they might want to have their own wallet and help to do the integration. Like, of course, we could help them to do so. Fantastic. And so, yeah, it's interesting to see uh, the different approaches, um, as you said, whether they consider it key infrastructure and i guess that sort of bitcoin open source ethos at some level they could just say hey just use whatever wallet you know you use whatever but i think in the el salvador case it was maybe the argument or at least the way they were thinking it seems to me like they wanted to be able to have that easy way to flip between bitcoin and usd to make it easy for the transition for uh salvadorans so i guess in the central african republic case then would they need an easy way to flip between bitcoin and cfa but as you said the difficulty is you can't you're not meant to be able to switch between bitcoin and cfa easily so it sounds like it's it's they are different countries with different approaches in terms of how bitcoin will proceed in them if it's you know fair to say yeah i mean something the country definitely is a way for people to unwarm to bitcoin uh, because uh, for instance in, in el salvador the government have a strategy of deploying ATM around the country. And so even if you are unbanked, you know, you can still buy Bitcoin. Um, so ATM are, are subsidized. So the fees are, I think, very small, around 1%, which is small for ATM. But, but, uh, because the Salvador, you know, took this decision to like implement a lot of ATM, uh, like it's, uh, you, you can easily buy Bitcoin. Like, Currently in Central African Republic, if you want to buy Bitcoin, you're in the country, unless you're, you know, a privileged few because you, maybe you live outside the country, you have some uh, access to banking in, I don't know, in, in, in France and you have a, you have a euro account or something with this line. With this exception, you know, which is a top 1% or, you know, 0.1%, the other part of the population, they can't really buy Bitcoin. Uh, because they, they use cash or they use mobile money. Uh, mobile money is really, you know, in the country. Like it's typically not compatible even with other country, even if they use the same currency. And so, yeah, how do you, because there is no Bitcoin in the country, like you, you, know, you cannot even have a peer to peer market at start, right? And so there need to be a way for people to, to buy Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, whether it's, uh, the government that will drive it or maybe the, the banks or some exchanges, I don't know. But that is a key, I guess, uh, problem that need to be solved. Yeah, sure. So I guess just turning to Galloy, just generally, uh, what's what's the latest uh, with Galloy money and uh, what's uh, going on uh, technologically and um, uh, project-wise there? Yeah, I think... Um, the biggest feature we are working on uh, that we talked about it uh, a few months ago is uh, last time yeah yep. USD uh, integration into our wallet. So we um, really focus on that. We have no uh, beta tester using it in the country, and we are getting feedback about 
how this works and trying to make sure like it's uh, uh, every edge case bugs are being narrowed down before we uh, deploy it uh, more globally. But the idea of basically be able to do an on-ramp or an off-ramp, uh, or at least just have a way to convert your Bitcoin to the local fiat currency so that you are not subject to the volatility of Bitcoin, I think has been the number one request feature for the last year. And yeah, it's it's not necessarily straightforward to do, but we're, we're, we're getting there and I'm uh, super excited about it. Um, we are also working with other projects um, that with wallet that will be announced in the next uh, couple of uh, weeks or months. Uh, one is in Panama, and I'm quite excited about this one. But the idea is really we help different organizations that want to have their own wallet, you know, do their own wallet. This is uh, this is our mission. We are working on an open source basis, so like you can deploy your own wallet based on our code. You just have to go to. Our, GitHub, which is uh, GitHub slash Gallery Money, and then you will see a list of repository, and you can launch your own wallet, you know, on your own. But the assumption is that if you are not technical enough, or you don't have the even the, the technical team to do it, you can hire us to to do wallet for you. Right. So it's kind of like a red hat model. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I think some of the interesting things that are coming also to the pipeline, we should have proof of reserve um, done over the summer. So we have a summer of Bitcoin internship. The goal is to have proof of reserve. I think it's something that is uh, quite exciting. I, I know many people in the Bitcoin space want to get more usage of proof of reserve. And so this is coming. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and also, I guess, uh, the last area to chat about is obviously you spent a lot of time in El Salvador. And as uh, El Salvador had this big delegation of, I think it was 44 different uh, central bankers and other um, country lead, uh, government ministers who came. And uh, you were around there. So w- can you just give us a bit of a flavor? Of what was that like? Uh, were, they, were they accepting the orange pill or were they sort of more uh, not accepting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was just a week before I went to Central African Republic, so a lot of trouble. Um, so 44 Central Bank, so more exactly, I believe 32 Central Bank and 12 um, Superintendencia, um, or like Minister of Finance, uh, you know, regulator, came to El Salvador. They were really discussing about financial inclusion. Uh, they decided to go to El Salvador, you know, I guess we know why, because they also were curious about Bitcoin. So it was a conference that lasts four days. The first day I did a presentation to the, to the group and there was a lot of question about, uh, Bitcoin. Uh, but I mean, there was an interesting question like, uh, okay, if, um, if the price go down, you know, how can we refund the user? Uh, because they really think about as regulator, but like consumer protection. And so, you know, this is from their perspective, like they want to make sure people don't lose money when they use their, their banking, when, when consumers work with banks. And so they, they're really trying to protect the, 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 basically the consumer. And so this question makes sense, right? But the answer is also like, you know, you can't, but, uh, but that's fine because, you know, over time the price will recover. And also if you use fiat currency over time, the price <laughs> will go down in perpetuity anyway. So like it's, you know, fiat currency are not stable either. But uh, the the first day they went to El Zonte and they have been 
experimenting with lightning and it was eye-opening for them it was interesting because the first day was more like a theoretical presentation and you will think that central back that they will really enjoy you know, something more theoric um, but actually not fully like i think the really eye-opening experience from them was like using lightning yeah seeing is believing yeah and uh, and so we went around the village of Fezonte, bitcoin beach and basically every every central bank you know as about whether it's a bottle of water or something you know like with lightning and 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 they were like that's it like it's so fast it's uh i can use different type of wallet and and so um, i think it will plant a lot of seed for the future there was a lot of country from africa in this delegation or also from latin america but majority in africa uh i think so yeah i think we can expect a lot more in in africa in the upcoming years um, yeah and i think this is one of those areas where i think some bitcoiners are more they're more about the bottom up, right? They don't really care that a government is coming out and, you know, they, they see that as like, oh, why are you, you know, whatever. Uh, we care about the kind of everyday user. Um, so, but I can, I can see a, a case there where if you can get a government politician or central banker to sort of help you in terms of at least removing the capital gains tax from Bitcoin, then that's a win, right? Because it's reducing the intervention of the state. Of course, I can understand where maybe the conflict will happen is if central banks and central bankers see that they are going to lose power, they're going to lose certain influence and control that they have currently. Um, so, you know, interesting to see where that lands. Um, but as you said, I think the probably the best case is those countries who don't have their own currency or don't have control of their own currency. And perhaps they are the ones who will see the, uh, the orange pill first, uh, take the orange pill first uh, compared to other ones so interesting to see where all of that lands nicholas any any uh anything else any final thoughts for the listeners or things they they should be thinking about uh yeah i mean if anyone have question about uh central african public you know happy to answer any question i, I think it's um it's so el salvador was a challenge and i think uh, the adoption of bitcoin there is going well uh i think for central african republic it's even a, a, a bigger challenge <laughs> uh, because the country starts from uh, from further away but in my mind, like if we can get uh, this country to adopt Bitcoin, like it's uh, it, it will be certainly the proof that um, every country should adopt Bitcoin. So um, yeah, we're trying to think about how to make this uh, a success. Um, so I mean, it's it's a French-speaking country, so this is maybe the challenge is how to help the country if you're not uh, speaking French. I mean, I, I'm not sure yet. Uh, there's definitely education needed. Uh, a lot of things may need to be translated to French. Uh, to French, the same way, like maybe there has been a lot of push in helping, you know, Spanish languages uh, or Spanish translation with with El Salvador. I think there should be sim uh, similar initiative maybe for for French speaking country. Uh, but yeah, for me, like it's a, an interesting, um, definitely project. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. Of course, I can appreciate where. Maybe at some level, it's difficult for a poor country and for poorer people to adopt Bitcoin because you need to be able to weather some volatility with that. So, you know, let's see what happens with that. But as you said, there is also this idea of having USD representation inside some of the different wallets and products. And listeners, go and check out Galloy Money. So the website is galloymoney.io and follow Nicholas Bertie on Twitter at Nicholas Bertie. And uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Nicholas, thanks you for joining me. Thanks, Stefan.
So get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 385, and I will see you in the Citadels.